I've always wanted to keep that pork chop going. I think it's great to have that combination of that beautiful belly. Um, you know, you've got the flavour there, but you've also got the juiciness and a little bit of loin as well. And uh, you get a little bit of everything. I think that's great. So good pork makes a huge difference. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Growing up in his family restaurant, Massimo Mele could have felt a career in food was probably inevitable. But he hasn't taken the move lightly. After applying his craft in Sydney and Melbourne, he returned to his home state, Tasmania, where he's helping take Tasmania into a new culinary era. Massimo, how are you? What an introduction. I'm well. Hugs, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's good to catch up with you, mate. Um, you're doing amazing things down there in Tassie. What, what's it like at the moment? Uh, it's busy. Dark Mofo is on at the moment. So it's extremely busy. It's exciting. Lots of people coming down. Um, lots of visitors from the mainland. I say that now, the mainland. Um, uh, I've seen some chefs go. No, it's been really good, yeah. I mean, it's a good time of year. It's probably my favourite event in winter. Um, it's just a great opportunity for people to get out. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the town kind of comes alive, you know, like Hobart's, it's kind of busy, but, you know, in wintertime it kind of, uh, you know, it's cold and the restaurants are only open, you know, certain days of the week. And as soon as Dark Mofo starts, everyone's just pumped. You know, the hospital industry just goes nuts and it's great. It's really, there's a real great buzz. What sort of impact has it had on what you do and sort of trying to fulfill the sort of standard that you have with, you know, such a bustling sort of busy period? Oh, look, it doesn't really change. We've been um, in Hobart, especially with Pina, we've been pretty solid since we opened uh, 18 months ago. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just another great opportunity to kind of showcase what we do. Uh, the north of the state's the same. We've, we've kind of gone into um, winter a little bit quieter compared to last year. I think it's just generally across the country, uh, especially in, in accommodation and uh, things like that. So April was a quiet month. So uh, so it's nice to get a little bit of an injection, a bit of energy. But it's, it's pretty exciting, the evolution that's happened in Tasmania over the last decade, and you've, be, you've been a part of that. How different is Tasmania and food compared to sort of when you were a kid and your parents had their restaurant? Look, I mean... When I was a kid and my parents, I mean, I, I can't really comment. I mean, I lived in a, in a bubble, like, you know, the northern suburbs of Hobart, you know, my mother grew everything. Um, you know, we had chickens. I mean, outside of our home, um, you know, it didn't really exist. But I can say, you know, when, when I left as an 18-year-old apprentice, I left Hobart 20 years ago or 22 years ago. Um, it's a very different place. And I think... Um, you know, like provenance, the provenance of the food and, and it's just a starting point. I mean, when I was an apprentice, we never asked where the lamb was from or it just came from the delivery driver that, you know, put it in on the on the trolley. Um, there's a, you know, I kind of, I left 20 years ago and, and travelled, you know, spent obviously a long time in Sydney. Um, but, you know, moving back probably, I think it's eight years now because my son's six, so in eight years, I've opened two restaurants, had three kids and got married. I mean, it's all happened. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 you know, it's been great. But I think in that time, like, you know, I can be really honest about this. I never wanted to move back to Tassie. I, I was I was living in Sydney. I was, um, I was running my business and um, I was really enjoying it. And I think, um, and I thought I was doing some really good things. And then um, 
I actually came back. I, I met my wife, or, or kind of re, kind of, you know, connected with my wife because we worked together twenty years ago, and it was actually winter time, dark mofo, and I was like, "Geez, what's this event?" You know, like I, I never came home in winter. I always came home at summertime for Christmas, and so you know, just watching what was going on, and I think um, there's been some great chefs that have come along the way. Uh, Luke Burgess was probably, I think, the the first to kind of really kick things off. Um, and there's been a few others since then that really started putting Tasmania on the map. And I think the landscape has changed dramatically. I think, especially in the last probably five years, um, you know, provenance and, and the quality, traceability, um, farming practices, people are really starting to ask the questions. And what I've really seen that's great is that people aren't going to the mark, farmer's markets just to get an Instagram post anymore. You know, like it's... They're, you know, grabbing a coffee and a, and a bagel and there's a stick of celery sticking out of their, you know, eco-friendly bags. Um, it's not about that. And people are actually go in there going, they're looking for the mushrooms or, you know, the tomatoes have been at the markets and they're going there. They know that it's only going to be a short season. They're, they're making their relishes. They're, they're posting about it. I think there's been a real excitement about food and I think whether that, you know, came out of, COVID and people started cooking it. I'm not really sure. I mean, I just think it's really nice to see that. And I think for me, I've done this full circle of, you know, trying to be, you know, and I can say it without any, you know, the hot shot chef back in the day. And it's all about your ego. And now it's really just about kind of, you know, the quality of food and the experience and sitting at the table. And, and for me now, like I get really excited when I get to bring, produce not to the table just at or not at home as much because my kids don't eat anything but um the, the restaurant you know like last week i took i brought in 90 corn cobs the last of our corn and I, I made a beautiful um corn dish with it and i was really excited and um i put that on social media and then people kind of talk about it and they come in and ask about it like it's there's a real satisfaction with that and i and i can't really explain it but i get more excited about people leaving comments like that tastes like my grandmother's lettuce or salad or, or that tastes like the lamb we used to have growing up. Um, because I think the full circle now is that I've gone back to, it's really not about me anymore. It's, it is really about, um, the produce and the food and people's people being happy and, and it kind of connecting with them in a way where they're actually more excited about the taste. They can taste the difference rather. And that's not me doing it because my food is very simple. Uh, I, I don't muck around with it too much. I just let it do its thing. And, and I think that's that's kind of where I am. And I think 20 years ago, it was all about, you know, there's a photo that pops up on social media, you know, those Facebook flashbacks. And I, and I, and I, and I had the, the beach at risotto in the, in the um, you know, the plastic piping, plumbing piping. So it could be, sta- you know, it was like a mountain of risotto with this bit, you know, garnish. It's like, what the hell was I doing back then? Um, so yeah, full circle, I guess. You mentioned the bubble that you grew up in and your parents ran a restaurant. Take us back to that period of time. What, what was it like? Do you have any stories of what it was like being a kid um, with a family restaurant? Well, it's actually interesting because me and my brother were the only two Italian boys uh, in a, in a very, um, very, you know, Aussie kind of neighborhood. And um, it was very hard to kind of tap into that because back then it was, you know, obviously um, being Italian or, 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 you know, and from somewhere else, not Australia was was not popular. But um, 
when my mum and dad opened the restaurant, I was probably grade four, so I was 10 years old. Um, I was still not, you know, very popular at school. And then I had a birthday party. And, um, you know, and when I talk about this restaurant, this restaurant is like a family run trattoria. It's like going back to Italy and, you know, mum's out the back um, cooking or dad's on the floor or, or vice versa. Um, you know, where they made everything in-house and she made the beautiful tiramisu and the, the totto caprese and the, the, you know, donuts at Zeppola every Friday. And Dad did savoury, mum did dessert. That's kind of the way it worked in, in, in that restaurant. And it was five minutes from school, five minutes from home. So you can imagine that triangle growing up as a kid is like school, home, restaurant. So uh, after school, we'd go to a restaurant, have a snack, mum would look after us, you know, then she'd take us home and then come back and do service. And But it wasn't until my first, uh, I think it was my 11th birthday, and um, I invited a few friends to the restaurant for my birthday. And um, this mount, this, this, I mean, obviously lots of beautiful food and because my mum is just a fantastic cook. She's, I'm in awe of how amazing she is in the kitchen and just how much love and, and kind of, kind of effort she puts into pleasing people. But, Dessert comes out and it's like this mountain of profiteroles, like with chocolate sauce cascading all over the thing and, and everyone's face is just lit up and they're like, this is the hottest ticket in town. Like next year, we want an invite. You know, instant popularity <laughs> through food, you know, through what's on the table, which is, you know, I mean, kind of speaks volume of, of my, our childhood is just because the table was always so important. What was on the table was, um, was kind of we grew up with, not that I knew at the time, but like, you know, pasta baselli was in spring and whatever was in the garden, that's what we're eating. You know, in wintertime, mum would make pasta fagioli, which is the beans. You know, she'd pod the beans, she'd dry them out and then, you know, they get used later, you know, later in the season or, um, you know, specific dishes that we knew were festive. Like, you know, Christmas Day is like, is the lasagna with the works. You know, the there, the boiled eggs, the, the ham, like, um, you don't have that all the time. Um, but we kind of knew what to look forward to. And, and I think I used to use this kind of saying, and my wife takes the piss out of me when I say it, cause she goes, Oh, it's so, sounds so wanky. Um, but it really was like every Sunday was like Christmas, you know? And, um, it's kind of like it, she just couldn't wait to kind of, you know, put everything up. But it, during the week was also the same, like just so much effort. So I think there's a real appreciation with food. And I think now when I get to go and spend time with my mum and um, I love this. She's like that typical kind of those memes you see like, oh, you know, you come around, I, I make I make us something as small uh, and you get there and it's like, mate, the table is just chockers and then I don't want to eat because I've just had a bagel at Pigeonhole on the way to on the way to see her. So I'm not that hungry, but she's like made everything and, and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, they, it's, it's about looking after people, that nurturing and, and making people happy and I think, I think that's now what I'm really, trying to do my professional career is just um, do the best I can and and it's not about trying to impress people with my skills or, you know, trying to turn something into, into something else. I'm just leaving it as it is and, and making sure that people get that experience. And I think um, I just feel much better being in that position at the moment, yeah. And Tassie's a great place to do that because the produce, people are saying what's, what's so good about Tassie produce because you know you, you're, you're just gonna you're biased and 
every every region around Australia has their own area that, that does fantastic um, produce. And I think the, the produce in Tassie is not better. The produce in Tassie is great because of the connections that we have with the people that grow it and how close we are. And I think that is what's special about it. And I think it tastes better. You feel better. You feel better knowing that you're supporting a small farm or a small family that are going through the same complexities that we are. Like I'm trying to run a restaurant, three kids, you know, you know, parents not so well, you know, juggling and that relentless. They're doing it as well. They've got kids. They're trying to find truffles. It, it's been raining too much. Oh, God, we've got to pick them in time. We've got to get to the restaurant. So there's a genuine appreciation and respect that really makes a difference. And I think the produce is just what it is because of those connections. Pork is so sort of such a vital part of Italian cuisine. Does it, was there any sort of pork dishes from when you were young within your family that you remember fondly? Oh, look, the first one is pasta vasili, which I mentioned before, like, you know, a little bit of um, speck or pancetta um, chopped up with some onion and garlic, some fresh peas, a few tomatoes squashed in your hand and, 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 and um, tubetti pasta. Like, it's amazing. Like, we, we kind of always forget the importance of, Italian um, um, salumi or, or pancetta or shakuri, I guess, whatever you want to call it. I think we really forget that that's part of the pantry. The pancetta or the, um, the salami or little things like little dishes that you can do, like that's um, such an important part when you sit down and any, like the antipasto is so important and it's always based around pork because every family has their own, um, speciality. So growing up, we were we were the passata and the wine, and then someone else did the salami. I never got to do the salami growing up because it was a different family. Um, and so everyone did everyone did something. Yeah, everyone did something and brought it to the table. I guess, and um, I guess part of the part of the uh, the beauty of it is is with the salumi is making sure we don't waste the thing. So. Um, there was always an abundance, whether it was salami or salumi or or, uh, or sausages, uh, the prosciutto or, or, you know, things like culatello, lons, like those things growing up were always there. Um, so whether it's sliced on the plate or, or used for cooking, uh, I think that's a huge part of Italian, especially Southern Italian uh, cooking. And obviously the French as well, the, the, um, a lot of bases for French dishes, you know, you've always got the speck. Or the uh, the bacon, or you know, with the mirepoix, give flavour. So pork is really important, but um, more so for us, um, the uh, like the roast pork, the porchetta, and things like that are kind of um, that's that's like that's like the creme de la creme, not something you have all the time. Because growing up in the south, um, it's a really poor part of Italy. So I think I was six when I first came back to Australia. So. I don't really remember a lot of, um, you know, big pork dishes or it was really a lot of vegetables and legumes and things like that that we ate growing up. It's not until I started my professional career that um, I started to really, you know, look at pork differently. And I think the first dish that I remember growing, uh, cooking, it was at Donovan's. So this would be 2000 and three, Jesus, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you're making us that. both sound old. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, it was they did the pork chop, just simple pork chop. And I just never forget this, you know, like almost like a tomahawk pork chop that you know you have that beautiful belly, um, the crackle, the skin, 
Um, you know, you just basically, it was just seasoned, cooked over fire really slowly. You know, you turn the pork chop on its, um, on the fat, you render it really, really slowly and you get this fantastic crackle. And um, I really kind of, that, that, that dish or that, the idea of that, cooking that meat over the fire, which I know is like super popular now, but, you know, 20 years ago, it was, it was like, I was like, wow, this is like awesome. Like I haven't seen anyone do this in Tassie. Cause you gotta remember when I left Tassie, like we, we didn't really have a, like a, you know, a food scene and, um, you know, back then it was a lot of like stacks and, you know, like it, this is completely different. And all of a sudden I'm seeing, you know, fish, whole fish cooked over fire, you know, pork cooked over fire, but, you know, obviously steaks is fine. It's, you see that everywhere, but there was a lot of beautiful ingredients that were just, just salt and that's it. Um, so that, that idea of that I've kind of carried in my career and most restaurants um, that I've kind of, you know, taken over as the, the chef is like, I've always wanted to keep that pork chop going. I think it's great to have that combination of that beautiful belly. Um, you know, you've got the flavor there, but you've also got the juiciness and a little bit of loin as well. And um, you get a little bit of everything. I think that's great. So good pork makes a huge difference. With, with your parents, you know, having the restaurant when you were young, were you always destined for a career in food? Was that something that they wanted you to pursue? No, they didn't. They were, <laughs> uh, it's <a> great story. <laughs> um, no, they didn't. They didn't want me to be a chef. So I worked with my mum and dad. I worked with my mum and dad. So I started working in the kitchen when I was 10. And I guess I think when I was 12, I think my, my dad had a, a, a car accident, like just a small car accident. So he couldn't open the restaurant that day. So it was a bit of a big deal. So mum said after school, you know, you go to the restaurant. Um, can you just kind of get things going, you know, you know, turn things on and get the, you know, pot of water on. And, and because I've been working with my dad for two years, literally just, you know, at his ankles in the kitchen or in the floor. And I even had my own tip jar um, in the restaurant, you know, because I'd, I'd go out there and, I mean, the customers could hardly see me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm walking around with the, the tea towel on my shoulder and, and the red apron. And um, and mum said, I'll just, you know, go in there, open up and I'll be there soon. And, uh, be there by five. Five o'clock, the restaurant opened, and you'd always get people come, coming home from from work wanting takeaway. And so, uh, mum still wasn't there. She had you know, two kids at home, and dad, and and someone walked in and goes, "Oh, you know." And he had the menu was on the wall, so he goes, "I'll have uh, I'll have a matsuichana, and I'll have a um, there was a dish called Allo Chef." You know, it's great when you don't want to, you can't think of anything, you just make something up, and dad just wrote Allo Chef, and I'm like, anyone can do that. And it's just bolognese with a little bit of um, brand in it and, and a touch of cream. Like, and I still remember it to this day, you know, and you cook the pasta and you mix it in, put it in a takeaway container, cheese on top. So I did a few of those and then a few more came in. I was like, man, I reckon I did like 10 orders and I was 12. And mum walks in, she's like, what's going on? It's like, and, one, and the thing is back then you think about it, the customers, you know, they're also like guests. They're coming all the time. They know who we are. They know who I am. Um, they're literally talking to me and keeping me company, you know, while, while my mum was getting there. And when she walks in, she goes, what's happening? And they're like, no, nah, Maria, he's fine. He's all over it. You know, Vince can stay home. Um, and I think that was, that was the start or that was, that was the taste. And that had nothing to do with the food. Like I wasn't like passionate about cooking. I was passionate about, you know, um, making my dad proud and, and, and also like, it was like, I felt like I, I accomplished you know, something that I was able to achieve that. And 
Um, and so I kept working on my, my dad and then they sold the restaurant. And then I went and worked for a, a chef uh, down in Salamanca restaurant just as a, just as a um, kitchen hand on the weekends. Um, same thing happened. Someone called in sick. Um, I jumped in the kitchen and, and kind of stepped up for the, for the chef and I just started enjoying the chef that I was working with, Adam Aiken, his name is, he, he's one of the most underrated chefs I've ever worked with. He just, you know, slides under the radar, you know, it doesn't make a big deal, but just, he was such a good teacher and such great energy in the kitchen. And I just loved it. And then I started to meet the other boys and I stopped washing dishes and I started working every Saturday cooking and I just thought that was it. I, I think I'm going to do an apprenticeship and because before that I wanted to be a water cop. So I don't know where that came from. I think it might have come from watching water water cops. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a policeman. That was it. I was done. I wanted to work on the water and uh, that's it. So I started working in the, in the cafe and I just loved it and – um, my dad came and saw Adam one day and said, listen, mate, I want you to make my son do the worst jobs you could find. And I, I listen to a lot of your podcasts and, and this is, there's, there's real similarities with some people's stories. Like, um, you know, make him do the worst, you know, and he's like, clean the grease trap, stay behind, you know, scrape everything with a tooth, you know, just the worst. And I think, I think like six or seven weeks passed and he just rang my dad and said, look, mate, I'm, I'm giving up, like he's, he's keen as, so, um, and I didn't think they were doing it in a bad way because like my parents knew how, they worked really hard and they worked all the time and they know that you're not, you're not just choosing a, a, a career, choosing a lifestyle that, you know, you're going to be working when everyone else is not and, um, you know, and if you don't really work really hard, you know, financially it's probably, you know, back then it wasn't really, um, like being a chef wasn't like what it is now. You know, it was, it was, you were just a cook, really. Uh, it was almost being public service. So I think um, they, they gave up and I kind of followed Adam for a little while and, and just started working in and around Hobart. And, and I just, I love the camaraderie. I love being part of the team. I love the fact that you, it's very, the, it's very instant. You, you know, you know, if you're going to have a good service or a bad service, you kind of get that instant kind of, you, you know, on the night. And I think, um, you know, uh, more often than not, you're getting, having great services. That camaraderie is really important. And, you know, I love playing sport as well. So for me, it's like you're part of a team. And I think I think that's what we've forgotten. You know, I mean, we're in a different, really different world now with, you know, in, in all industries. But I think people really miss that. They don't, they don't get the fact that you're, you're part of a team and you, you're going into service every night or every day. And, yes, you want to um, guess the best experience that you can, but it's also about kind of respecting, you know, people that you're working with and, and making them proud and making yourself proud. It's like I think I, I just – I was brought up in a really great environment, whether it's my parents or, or Adam and those restaurants I worked in Tassie. It wasn't until I left the island that it became a bit more competitive and, um, you know, I mean, the training kicked in. But I, that I really – that's that was what shaped me, and I think – Probably working at Donovan's is where I started to find a real passion for the food um, and, and, and also the Italian heritage because growing up in, in the northern suburbs of Hobart, I even changed my name. That's how bad it was. So my name, you know, I told everyone my name was Max because, you know, as soon as you say Massimo, they're like Massimo, Mossimo, like, it, you know, it really, it really was a problem. And so 
what I did with that as well is I stopped being Italian. I stopped talking Italian. I stopped um, cooking. Like I stopped thinking about those traditions. I wanted to run away so far away from all that. And when I got to Melbourne and started working um, for those guys there, I started to kind of, you know, uh, rediscover that passion. And the chef was Italian. Robert was Italian and he'd speak to me in Italian. And I started, I started speaking Italian and, and, you know, more often than not, he was yelling at, yelling at me in Italian, but uh, you know, it's like being home with my mum. But, um, but I think that's, and, and when I came back to Tassie eight years ago, I bumped into a few people that call me Max. I'm like, nah, it's, it's Massimo or it's Massimo. Like it's, I'm not, a, I'm not running away from that anymore. This is my traditions and this is my culture. And, you know, I'm an Italian boy who's grown up in Australia and I've got the best of both worlds. And, and now I'm just making, now I'm really loving, um, kind of, you know, kind of following the traditions. And that's why the restaurant's named, you know, after my grandmother, my nonna. It's like, I really wanted to kind of do something that really kind of celebrated uh, that heritage that I have. So pretty excited. You mentioned your time um, at Donovan's in Melbourne. You spent a lot of time in Sydney as well. What was the real sort of turning points for you in that period of time before you made your way back to Tasmania? Um, oh, look, running Hugo's group was, um, for about, was a big, big one. I mean, if anyone knows Hugo's like back then, we opened in 2008 and, um, I just joined, <laughs> funny story is that I did that. I did the, um, the young, it was the young chef of the year, the Electrolux back then it was Electrolux and, um, that night after the awards, like, you know, all the chefs, you know, we're all getting lots of offers to, to, for jobs, which was great, right? And I was like, well, I'm going overseas. And I went overseas for, a couple, for about 18 months. When I came back, there was no offers. No one wanted to talk. No one wanted to, no one even like, who? Massimo, what? What, what are you talking Who are you? Because, yeah, you know, that's how fast it moves. And, and I really struggled to find my feet in Sydney, but I kind of took that role. I was looking for all these head chef roles and, the role came up for Hugo's, which was just um, a, a sous chef, really, in a, in a big brigade. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start back up and build my way up. And within six months of opening that place, uh, or in, uh, I think eight months, a lot of the the top um, management um, left. And so just by default, I became, um, you know, head chef of uh, or executive chef of this restaurant. Had about 24, 25 staff on it. And... I think I was 26 and mate, I had no idea. Like I was just, I was a nowhere burger. Like, um, I was kind of angry and, and didn't know how to, didn't know how to manage people. And, um, you know, I had, I probably picked up some bad, um, habits over the years working for, you know, restaurants that were really intense and kind of thought that was the only way that I could do it. And I was in charge of this kitchen. I didn't have any management skills and, um, you know, doing a thousand covers a day was a real eye-opener. So it took me a couple of years to really find my feet um, and, and also uh, learn to kind of about systems. And when you're running large venues like that, it really is about processes, systems, and it's not just about the plate of food in front of you. So I think that was a real turning point in regards to um, training, um, how to manage people. And, and look, to be honest, I didn't get it right straight away. It took me a long time. Um, starting my own business in Sydney, uh, caterings and events really taught me about, um, yeah, running my own business, really small business by myself. 
um, I started, you know, prepping out of a kitchen in the back of um, Bondi Junction, you know, paying as you go kind of thing. And, um, you know, I had a really good mate of mine who was a butcher um, in in Manly who had an old paddy wagon that he gave me to start and that was my catering van. And, like, you know, I came from, you know, started really with nothing and built that over a couple of years. And then um, La Scala was a real kind of – I really loved relaunching La Scala, I think – I mean, Darren Simpson did a great job setting that restaurant up, and um, but I really I love that space. It was a really intimate space, and you know, got a really great review from Terry that really nailed it because it was just about it was like this me kind of pulling out that inner wog boy and just you know that Italian Australian food, which is what it is. It's my version of Italian food because you know at the end of the day. I've, I've spent probably 80% of my life growing up in Australia uh, and the influence is there, but really, you know, the, the training and the has been here. So he, he really nailed what I was trying to do then. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I kind of, like I said, I bumped into my, my now wife um, at, uh, in Tassie and we worked together 20 years ago and um, I was the head chef and she was a waitress and she hated me and I probably had a crush on her. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, we kind of, yeah, we started kind of connecting and then she's like, well, I started coming down to Tassie a lot more and, and that was it. And kind of the turning point was picking up and going, right, well, let's go try Tassie and, um, you know, because for family and things like that. But to be honest, Alex, it took me a long time to kind of get in the, the, the groove in Tassie. Like it, it was for even coming home, like I'm a local coming home. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. They made me work for it. But I think now, eight years later, um, I found a niche. And I think it's not until you kind of, you've got both feet, you know, firmly planted on the ground. And I think um, I stuck in, I stay in my own lane. I really focus on trying to support the local farmers. And that's not in a way that, that that's not a marketing, you know, angle or, like I live and I live and breathe it, and it's to the point where it's it's almost like an obsession, um, in the sense like I'm I'm on all the time. You, you need to be on, and I'm really lucky up north at Grain. I've got Thomas, who's the executive chef. He's been there for a while, and he really drives the operation and that part of it up there. But in Hobart, I've been really you know working hard to making sure that we get as much as we can. To give you an example is, you know, there's not many restaurants at this volume in a hotel that get their veg once a week. They get their pork once a week. Um, they get their lamb once a week. So um, that takes a lot of work. Our pork, we, we have to pre-order it. Um, and we want to, I want a specific spec for that pork chop. So it comes off an 80 kilo, 75 to 80 kilo pig because of the fat ratio. So it's, it's really because of that, it's more about the crackle. You know, I mean, or the fat. Um, you don't want it too lean because, you know, then it's too much of the eye. You don't want it too big, and we, we love it from the scotch end. So, well, you know, we, we, I've done a lot of work to kind of get that right. Um, the porchetta is the same. It took us a long time to get the right size because you don't want to do a porchetta, you know, on the table, and it's like it's the, it's the size of a pizza. Like, you want a beautiful piece of pork um, that sits really well, that's really well cooked, and I think... Um, it allows us to do large groups as well because the pork is like our festive dish for our large tables. So 
it's it's really popular. People love it. And, you know, I mean, not everyone can do it. does a porchetta at home. So when they go out to a restaurant, it's quite special. Um, but the beauty is trying to take everything we can to use up in lots of other dishes. So we've got the ragul, which has been on the menu since day one, which is Genovese, which is made out of all the, the cheek and the belly and the trimmings. Um, and it just cooks down. That's like a quintessential... Uh, so the north have got their, their Bolognese and, and the, the Neapolitans have the Genovese, which I don't know why it's named after a northern city, but it's uh, it's almost like it's a white it's a white ragu made with you know twenty kilos of onions and about ten kilos of meat between shin and pork, um, cooked so slowly that it just kind of melts away and just is very sweet. So the pork is the pork has to be really good quality. You can't just put anything in there. Um, because I think that's what, you know, I remember growing up is that because the pork came from the pig, there's a photo that I posted when I opened Pepina. It's, it's, um, it's of my mother and uh, my grandmother's garden and it's in August. Uh, no, it's in June. And there's her in the garden picking vegetables and there's a pig in the background. And then the photo's in August and there's the garden. And there's no pig in the background. And then you can see all the salami hanging up. You know, that's that's kind of that's that's where we came from and I think trying to do that in a professional setting, in a commercial setting, uh, is is probably crazy, but at this level, because we're not doing twenty forty covers, we're doing hundred and eighty a night and you're doing breakfast and you're doing all these things. Um, but it's something that I've worked really hard at that to kind of to try and do the right thing and make sure that we source our pork and, and all our produce from the people that grow it the best or, or, or raise it the best and taste the best. You mentioned um, the spec that's required for your pork dishes from the pork. Do you have any connections with farmers that you can tell us about that um, that you get your meat from? Yeah, especially for grain. Um, we get all our pork or most of our pork from Fork at Farm. So they, they're a small farm just out of Launceston in Lidydale. So I've actually just done a TV show, my own TV show, um, and you got the exclusive there. There you go. Because um, I wasn't busy enough. Um, I've been working on it for seven years, and um, I just wanted to do something that kind of celebrated the connections that I've made over the last few years. And I think, um, yeah, so in, in episode one or episode two is that Dan and Kim's at Forkett Farm. And, you know, the, the farmers that I meet, are all like they've all had another profession. They've all been, you know, these guys were scientists, lab lab scientists from Brisbane, you know, and they thought, you know, fork it, we're going to Tassie, you know, like that's and that's where the name came from, and we're gonna we're gonna raise um, Berkshire pigs. I'm like, you guys are bloody crazy, um, and they've done it, and they started off, and now four years on, they've done a fantastic job, and their their pork is really delicious, like. We had a dinner last year. We do a big event at the restaurant in Grain called Agriculture. Um, it's all about celebrating, um, you know, agriculture in the north of the state. And um, we serve their pork, and it's just beautiful roasted, you know, pork uh, pork chops or porchetta, um, different cuts. And people are really blown away. The thing is sometimes, that, you know, people get scared because the, there's a little bit extra layer of fat when it comes to some of those specs. Um, and... You know, I know when people try and say, oh, you know, fat is flavour and, you know, if it actually, it's not just the fat that tastes good. It's actually the, the meat. You look at the colour, 
you know, and I think the best way to do it is like I grab some of their loins sometimes and I just do a quick, you know, just scallopini, which is a traditional Italian, you know, bastardized Italian restaurant dish. But man, it's like that reaction is like, oh, wow, that's, that's really good. You know, like, and I think when people start to have that reaction, when they sample as simple as just a bit of pork medallion, they can taste the difference. You know, I know what they're feeding them. They look after, they love their animals. They, they look up, they don't, they don't grow more than what they need. They don't go, well, you know, geez, all the chefs want them. We'd be better just grow more. And they just go, oh, no, this is what we do. And, you know, I had a discussion with him yesterday. It's like, Mass, I've got all this. I've got some pork coming up. Um, and I'm like, well, what about the mince? Because I make meatballs, and so I can probably use more of it. Um, he's like, oh, I can actually give you some mince as well. I'm like, great, because that'll make the meatballs taste so much better. They'll be like Nonna's meatballs. Um, and so we, we, I love that. I love, I really love the, like the connections and the, the phone calls that we have. And sometimes they're quick and, and fire, and sometimes I can be on the phone for an hour or, or, or my drive to Launceston, it's a couple of hours, so I call them up and, you know, it's kind of like we're, we're creating um, a little kind of community where what have you got? If you've got too much, I can probably get rid of that. Like, or I can use it in this and making sure that nothing's wasted and and everything is celebrated. And I think that's what I love about working with the small farmers. Um, and, and, and also we've got a couple of bigger pork farmers that, that do the same thing as well. They're just, they're not as small, but their pork is, is also equally delicious. Um, because it's very difficult to have two venues and get the constant supply. So what we're finding now is we just say, well, well this is not available this week, but this, but we've got the pork loin. Well, we haven't got the chops, but we've got the, you know, something else. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's part of, but I just did an event with Giovanni Pili last week. So I've just, I've been wanting to know what's his secret to his porchetta. So now, now I watched him do the event. So now I'm like, I'm taking that idea. <laughs> I'm going to do that idea. That's going to work great with that pork shoulder, you know. So, but that, and that's what our industry is about, isn't it? Like spending time with other chefs and, and learning from them. There's no competition. It's like celebrating the art and, and celebrating when you get to, you know, you know, you learn something. You learn something all the time. So, and how we can use that to day-to-day is, you know, for me, is really important. Well, I'm glad you mentioned porchetta because a couple of weeks ago on Instagram, you broke the hearts of everyone in the mainland with a couple of huge porchettas, which you'd cooked at uh, Pepina. Um, <laughs> yeah. tell, us, tell us a little bit about, you know, the best porchetta. What do you got to do? Well, you know, look, honestly, um, it's just salt and pepper inside. We don't put too much, too much in there. Um, but... We we leave the porchetta in the, in the fridge for a couple of days and um, we just put a little bit of solution of vinegar and salt and um, and that kind of the, the night before we're going to cook it and the day of cooking <laughs> we've got this such we've got an issue I mean anyone that works in a hotel knows that fire alarms are an issue and uh, <laughs> constant fire alarms and the porchetta is a source of constant fire alarms because that's, you know, the chef's like getting so excited and they're like, oh, look at that crack on over the door and bang, um, the combi oven escapes the, uh, the exhaust and um, everyone cracks it. But then I'm like, you know what, that porchette is so good. <laughs> I really should be upset about the fire alarm. But, um, you know, what we do for our porchetta, what we do is we do the solution. The day of cooking, we bring it out, we salt it again, 
you know, and we keep it quite dry. And then it just goes in the oven on um, a really low heat for an hour and a half, like 110. And then we just crank it for the last 20 minutes and get that beautiful crackling. And, and it's great because we do it just before service. So it's hot, it's above the grill, and um, it's very – and it just – the guys have done it really – I'm really proud of them actually. Like with all the complexities in, in – with, you know, like I said about the, you know, cooking in, a, in an open kitchen – the alarm, but I love cooking in front of the customers. And then when they walk in, they see it. I think that visual, something I've learned about restaurants that I, I picked up working for Gail and Kevin, you know, 20 years ago is that the visuals in a restaurant, um, you know, whether it's, they can see it on the past when they're walking in or the, you know, every day I've got the produce that we use that's in season, you know, at, at, on display in the kitchen. And it's an open pass and, and same with upstairs, up at North a grain is that it just really kind of you're welcoming people into your home into your space and they're like there's a real connection rather than just there's a pass and plates and that they they can see kohlrabi they can see the celery act they know what's what we're using the beautiful jacket pumpkins um and the pochettas nothing uh the pochettas the same as soon as it comes out of the oven it's on the pass and people do you know see it and go well i'm going to order that um and i've noticed that at a few restaurants that I've been to lately is is that kind of interaction is really important with the guests and the porchetta is the biggest <laughs> just somehow I don't know what it is about porchetta or the crack is it the crackle that gets them excited like people start just frothing of it um, I had a guy come up to the past the other night he had a few beers and he's like mate I'll give you 20 bucks for a piece of crackle and I thought oh I'm 25 maybe I don't know <laughs> should I should I get should I ask for more <laughs> Um, I gave it to him anyway because you know that's great. I love that. I love customer. I love guests getting excited about the food and um, seeing it in the open kitchen. Well, you're doing amazing things down there with um, both grain of silos and pepina, and obviously the show that you just mentioned as well. Um, what What do you love about what you do? What I love, she's oh, known everybody. I haven't answered that question for a long time. I think it's just it's it's it's. I love. I love cooking. I love I love my industry. I love being a chef. I love being in restaurants. Um, you know, like, like I, I had a pretty tough time, like when I first moved back to Tassie, and, and you know, like I was pretty depressed there for a while because um, I went from you know doing what I was doing in Sydney, and I came here. Like I said, it took me a long time to find my feet and and be accepted, and and then kind of I guess find my lane and. Um, I love, I grew up being in the restaurant. I grew up being here with guests, with my family. I grew up cooking and I grew up making people happy. And I really love that. Running hospitality businesses now is, is a different kettle of fish. And I'm having to find new ways to kind of um, deal with the relentlessness of that everyone's dealing with these days in running business. But I still love it. Like, you know, yesterday, you know, people... <laughs> Some people come to the restaurant and they're like, oh, Masson actually cooks or he's actually here. It's like, fuck, who, who do you think's doing it? Who do you think's pushing? Who do you think's driving? Who do you think's calling the producers? Who do you think's making sure the produce is here? Who do you think is picking the produce in his garden and bringing it to work? Like, I love it, you know, and I love it. My, my constant battle is making sure that I have that balance between being a father and being a restaurateur and making sure that I can be um, – you know, and being a father is, is number one. But I love working in the restaurants. I love, you know, 
I love being in the kitchen and I love also being on the floor now, which is, which is kind of the next stage. And, and I love the, the kind of what food does for people. You know, for me, it's always been, um, you know, if I was sick, mum would pull out the broad or, you know, um, having a birthday, I get my big profiter off. Like food has always been really important. And um, the satisfaction I've got, uh, especially now with Open Pepina, is kind of, I've really been able to kind of grow as a chef and, uh, and also as a restaurateur. And I think to, to have such great local support has been really great. And I think that's to come back and do it in my hometown and for people to say, look, thank you. Like, I know it's, you know, it's obviously hard, but, you know, we've had a great meal, great night. Thank you so much. And, and that really um, drives me to keep going. The days that I have, like, like you know, three sick calls, oh, he's been a pain in the ass and, you know, can't get this. And, and then I wake up and go, thanks for a great night last night. We really enjoyed it. You know, mum had a great birthday. You know, like... We're not, we're not curing cancer, but we're, we're giving people an experience and we're trying to, you know, give them a night out and, and make them happy. And, and, you know, it's something for three or four hours, we can look after it. And I just love that hospitality. And I think if we can remember that, that word hospitality, we, we will go a long way in this industry because that is what we're there for. And when we welcome people in, that gesture of hospitality is really important. So that's what I love. Well, mate, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to catch up with you and um, hopefully we can catch up with you again soon. So please keep in touch and, uh, and we'll do that. Thanks, Huck. Have a great day, mate. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.